Everyone's here. Jar Jar, call me. My main man. Quickly. Before the Separatists attack, get into the escape pod. Hey! This is escape. Then where the patch? Here's the Welcome back to Star Wars Escape Pod and our third after show review for Obi-Wan Kenobi. Hope you all have been enjoying the show as much as we have and uh, we've got our esteemed co-host Mr. Blake in the Escape Pod the J today to chat about uh, all of what went down in this uh, climactic showdown between these two beloved characters. So, that being said, Thanks again for tuning into Star Wars Escape Pod, and let's get into it. Another happy landing. Man, I gotta say the music in this uh, in this show, um, the John Williams track at least, it doesn't really get played long enough during that title card. Yeah, I think you're right because I didn't even think about any of the music. <laughs> yeah, it's just I don't know. There, there's something there's something really powerful about the theme for Mando and Book of Boba, um, but nothing has really stuck with me over the course of Obi-Wan Kenobi, which is odd because because the main theme is driven by John Williams, which I think is maybe echoed through the show. But the title card necessarily is is not necessarily pulling as much from from that theme. You know, what's so funny is people said the exact same thing about the sequels, which were also John Williams music. Yeah, although after after a couple of years gone by, there's some there's some themes that have kind of stuck Stood with me more. a little bit yeah like the 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 resistance theme yeah, the mar- and like, march the resistance yeah race yeah, yeah. theme kylo ren's theme i think th- those three have kind of stuck I with agree. me on first watch though i couldn't remember any of the music no me neither yeah there was nothing nothing like super gravitate uh gravitating about about the first go around but uh but the title card for this show is is really just uh i don't know it's not it's not overly long Right, yeah. um, because uh, there's also seconds chopped off afterwards, since it's only called part one, part two, part three, and so on and so forth. There's no chapter title with a name, whereas with Mando, mm-hmm. you'd get the title card, the chapter, and then the like the name of the episode. So, so it, it was a little longer. You could draw out more music uh, right. d- during that title sequence, uh, whereas in this show, maybe, it's not the case. Maybe we should have went the Boba Fett route, and the music should have been like. Kenobi, Obi Wan Kenobi, Obi Obi Kenobi. What? <laughs> 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 Is that what you're saying? Would you remember that better? Oh, <gasps> Obi Wan Kenobi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I probably that yeah, probably right. would have stuck with me. I think that would have angered a lot of people. 
<laughs> what are you gonna do? I can't please everyone. Uh, yeah, exactly. But that being said, though, I mean, we we love John Williams, and uh, I'm really digging this this theme song that he's kind of made as a, a overarching uh, template for the mm-hmm. for the soundtrack that they can use through the show. So that's pretty cool. It is. Uh, so let's uh, let's talk about the episode here, part three. I mean, uh, much like episode three, uh, part three gave us the uh, the f- well, probably Darth not Vader. the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, part three gave us Darth Vader, and he also gave us uh, it. Also gave us the uh, the lightsaber duel between Vader and Obi Wan Kenobi once again. If you could even call it that, but yeah, I, I yeah I, I I know it's it wasn't exactly the most grand lightsaber duel. I'm sure I've, they're building have, up for I've another one. Talk about it, yeah. Like I'm I'm curious on your your take on some stuff on that, but we we can we can hit it in order here. Mm-hmm. So let's start from the top. Uh, Obi-Wan's once again trying to connect with Qui-Gon. Um, we, we start off on the ship uh, right after the, the, the climactic events of part two. And, uh, you know, he's, he's not exactly in tune with the force to enable his communication. It's, it's like he's let his fears and his worries just cloud his mind because uh, he, he reaches out to Qui-Gon quite a few times over now over the last three episodes. And there's no reply. And I feel like it's just begging for Liam Neeson's voice to pop in at some point in the last episode. <laughs> you know what I mean? Try harder, Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan. <laughs> Have you done as I asked? Have you killed the boy? <laughs> that, that's not what you said. <laughs> you misunderstood me. <laughs> this entire time, everything, everything could have been fixed if you just followed the orders correctly. Everyone, have you stabbed the boy? <laughs> How was my Liam Neeson? Is it okay? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> um, so uh, we got Hayden as Vader in this episode. Desperately. Hold on, I'm not done with, with Qui-Gon yet. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Keep going. Do you think it's odd that it's been 10 years and Obi-Wan still hasn't successfully talk to Qui-Gon because that was like his last mm. task that Yoda gave him, right? Yeah, I guess you can just add it to the list of failures that have built up on Obi-Wan's plate, but um, I, I'm curious, you know, I'm, I'm curious that maybe maybe in fact he has lost touch with the Force in a way that has disabled his ability to do that, because uh, if he's so convincedly uh, can, uh, convinc- convincingly talk, uh, talks to Qui-Gon the way he does. Um, it, ma- it makes me wonder, maybe he has done it before and he's just, it's just been so long since he's been That's able true. to do that, right? The That's ev- true. That's a good point. Yeah. And you know what actually reminds me of, now that you mention it in that light, that's like Luke when he's like screaming out like, Ben, Ben, on, yeah. when he's, he's help, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, Only uh, because five. he knows that he's heard Ben's voice before. So, so Luke kind of reaches out to Ben almost in almost like in a pr- state of prayer. Um, to yeah. Des- as a state of desperation, almost right. To, to call on the force, but on a specific identity within that force. And, um, and Obi-Wan, it does the same, but he's not in tune enough with the force to be able to commune with Qui-Gon because it, t- it takes some sort of discipline to do that. So, um, you know, these force ghosts just don't show up to anybody. 
<laughs> mostly the yeah. chosen one. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I guess that brings us back to Luke Skywalker story and the sequels and kind of brings a sh- sheds a new light on what happens in the last Jedi, because we've always wondered why doesn't the force ghost have this moment of inter intervention, right? Like why don't yeah. they confront Luke about this like new state of mind of his and tell him to get his act together. Um, much like how in the expanded universe they, they did with Cade Skywalker. And um, I just, I've always wondered that. And, and now I think maybe we're starting to get a little more of that canonicity fill in story, making sense of this whole thing. You have to be in tune with the force to be able to do that. That would be interesting. That that would make sense. It's, it's unfortunate, though, at that point, then when you're at your most desperate hours when they can't talk to you. Yeah, yeah. Which is, is what happens in the movies. So I guess they have to do that, right? They, <laughs> right. It's kind of written in already. I think like there, there's also two ways of looking at that as well, because because you could look at it as, oh, it's, yeah, it's a desperate time. But then uh, there's also desperate times being connected to the force and desperate times without being connected to the force. Because we've right. seen we've seen desperate times before with with the events of Re- Revenge of the Sith and then just just following that right. So if Yoda and and Obi Wan were at one point able to communicate with Qui Gon, um, then that tells me, well, Obi Wan is just in this new state of mind in which he's no longer able to communicate with Qui Gon because of where he's at right now with his relationship with with the Force, right? Because it it takes a tremendous amount of discipline to be able to be a jedi and obi-wan has let that part of him go Mm, that is interesting you know this kind of leads me into the other thing that really crossed my mind is one of the things i really disliked about the last jedi is how depressed and given up luke was Mm -hmm. and so it's interesting how we're now seeing obi-wan in close if not the same mental state yeah but it, I don't think it bothers me as much. And I was trying to think about that. And I think it's because Obi-Wan's arc from what we've seen from the prequels of how like he, he lost his entire family. Mm-hmm. All, the Jedi Order is gone. He knows that this war that him and his brothers and sisters fought was all set up. It was all a lie. And the galaxy was just taken over. Yeah, and like everything that he knows has been taken from him, and just like just, to me, it, it makes sense that he would be this distraught. Whereas with Luke, it felt like because he's Luke started with nothing, right? He was the only the only Jedi, and then he built the temple, and then it crashed down on him. He just gave up. Right. <laughs> to me, those feel like different things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I feel like, uh, you're definitely onto something there. Like the, the story of, I feel like more people would be, um, able to accept the, uh, or more of us, I guess I should say, would be able to accept the Luke Skywalker story if there was a lot more to it, a lot more backstory, right? A lot more event that may have sent him to that dark place. Um, whereas Obi-Wan, we know the story. And we know that the entire prequel trilogy is just a series of events of loss for him, right? Um, it's never any—it's never anything but just a depressing downfall of the Republic and a downfall of the Jedi Order. So, and yet, through the prequels, he was always the cheeriest one. Yeah, he was. Yeah, and he, you know, he tried to uh, 
he was a bit more more of a joker, I guess, than than some of the other ones, right? But, yeah, he always had a, a smirk on his face, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something sly going on. I think like just the traumatic events. I mean, w- what we're seeing in comparison to the Last Jedi is Obi Wan really distraught and destroyed over still what happened, right? Like he's lost his his like you said his family. He's lost his brother, who at one point referred to him as a father. You know, like he's he's lost everything. He's lost Padme, um, who was a friend of his, right? And and uh, obviously the mother of the children that he's protecting. Um, there's a lot of terrible things that has happened, and he's even witnessed the the death of his own master. Um, and uh, Satine, of course, we can't forget the tragedy of the Clone Wars. And so, the rise of the Empire. Uh, yeah, yeah, the rise of the Empire. The you know, and and of course him. Um, taking on the weight of his own failure to not only, um, I guess, do what he could to prevent all this tragedy from happening, but then furthermore to to dig that hole even deeper, to know that he failed to even kill Anakin Skywalker, who, you know, he only just recently figured that out, though. Yeah, but that that's that's even gone one step further in in that direct that downward direction because he thought all these years he felt guilt for for being able to even for doing that right to kill Anakin Skywalker knowing that he was dead he feels responsible for that but now to know that failing Qui Gon yeah yeah and now to know that he's responsible for not doing that and almost turned him into something worse right because in this episode we hear Vader say I am what you made me. Yeah, yeah, such a good line. It's such a good line. And I was like, holy crap, dude. Like, that's just the, that's the substance. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's that's boy. what this episode's all about. So It's funny because, like, Open One said, like, what happened to you? Or, like, you know, whatever it is. Like, yeah, he says, lines. what have you become? That's what it was. And then in my head, I was like, but you made him. And then he said, I was like, oh, yeah. It's <laughs> like, w- when that moment happens, like, you know, like, that's it, right? Like, yeah, that's it. You know, everything comes together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so you know, it was such a. It, it, it's been it's been a um, a lot of context, I guess, for us to be able to to accept this version of the character and knowing that he's been through all this stuff. I mean, it. This is how the character started off. Was um, after all this takes place when Luke is becoming that new hope in his life. You know, when he's begun to realize. The future of the Jedi is not with me; it's with this boy, and and I think that's that's where we pick up with the story in Rebels. That's why he shares that with Maul, and that's why A New Hope is mm. such a higher note than where we're seeing him at right now. Yeah, because I was going to bring that up more specifically when we're talking about the Vader stuff a little later on here. Yeah, because I felt like there's a, a quite a large disconnect between what we see now and what we see later with the Darth Maul duel. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Let, let's bring bring that up again when when uh, we get around to this Vader um, duel here. Uh, speaking of Vader, so Hayden is Vader, um, desperately searching for Kenobi. Right. Uh, mentions the fate of the Grand Inquisitor and that it doesn't matter um, in that brief conversation with Riva. And I thought, okay, well, we'll probably see him again. I, I know a lot of people, a lot of us are freaking out. It's like, okay, well, this is super yeah. breaking canon right now because of the Yeah, because I, I they, they're talking like he's dead. Yeah, they are, which I'm a little confused at because of course he's in Rebels, but but I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just waiting for that reveal that he's actually not dead at all. 
Um, but you know, we're just going to have to be patient and, uh, there's three episodes left. So, you know, we can, I think chill. he's going to be the new secret apprentice. There's going to be just clones and clones of him. Just like <laughs> force unleashed two. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, we'll get to that story eventually. Uh, but of course, uh, Hayden as Vader, the performance that I'm seeing out of Vader in the costume right now. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not thinking anything other than the fact that this is Darth Vader. Um, so, yeah. you know, uh, dude, they nailed it. Yeah. They nailed Vader, man. It's so good. So good. Like the vo- and the voice feels like original trilogy because when they, the voice to me seemed a bit different in episode three and mm-hmm. it definitely was different in Rebels. So hearing yeah. it in this show, it, it, it's spot on, man. Right. I, like, I, I, I was so impressed. So, uh, based on the credits, of this particular episode, there is uh, a mention that they're uh, using that um, in post-production, they're using that same software that they used for Luke on uh, the Mandalorian, where the the voice of Luke is, is being purely driven by software. Um, it's called, oh, wow. it's a, it's a site called Respeech, I believe. And uh, it's a, it's a software that um, uh, companies can pay to use to uh, essentially clone someone's voice uh, by feeding it uh, information as to how to sound. Um, it's been used by a variety of companies. You can go to the website and check it out. But uh, Lucasfilm being one of those companies that has used the software for uh, literally doing the voice of Luke Skywalker. I have a feeling that even though James Earl Jones is credited as Darth Vader, there might actually be some correction going on with respeech. Mm. That makes sense because yeah. you and I just in one of the previous episodes here we're talking about how his voice has changed a lot since the seventies and eighties. Yeah, I mean he's getting old, so it, it makes sense. You know, uh, people's voices change as they age. So yeah, because uh, Ep three I think was just his voice. Yeah, Ep three was kind of the last time I think we heard just pure, you know, classic James Earl Jones that we would have heard in the other films, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But as time has gone by with with Star Wars Rebels and then Rogue One, uh, you know, we've definitely heard that voice uh, age deteriorate, I guess, in, in, in strength and boom um, as time. I thought has gone it got by. lower. <laughs> um, yeah, I just I don't more know. I, I, it, more more low and gravelly. Yeah. Uh, also, um, j- just a bit less air behind it, you know. Um, so there's certainly there's certainly something going on i think with this this version of of vader uh and it it makes me wonder if they have fed this respeecher software with uh because of course mark hamill was credited in mandalorian as well even though he just doubled on set at times they filled that you know he they took reference footage of him and then the voice was digital. Essentially, Mark Hamill, even though he was involved, he wasn't actually in or sounding on any of the footage. It just kind of sounds like him because it's digitized that way. And it looks like him because of digital, right? So um, because of visual effects. So um, I think the same thing is going on with Vader, but even more so knowing that Hayden is in the costume. It makes me wonder, are they using this software, giving James Earl Jones credit for where credit is due, of course, because it is the sound of his voice, but is that sound completely artificial and is it actually Hayden's dialogue that's driving those words? That would be the craziest thing ever because that means... I don't means, know if I would like that or not though. Because that <laughs> I, means... I like the idea James Earl Jones coming in and do the recording. I, I mean, I like the idea too, but it's just like realistically, I mean, that's not what happened with Mark Hamill and with Luke Skywalker, right? So it makes me wonder like, 
is the is this th- same thing happening with James Earl Jones? Does that mean that Darth Vader's voice can theoretically live on forever, even though James Earl Jones is not around? I mean, the description of bringing back like actors that are long gone are, is actually on the website, like on this respeecher software website. Right. So, so that means because the question then would be speech patterns, I guess, because like, if you're feeding it yeah. lines of pre-recorded dialogue from previous films, for example, yeah, and then your recording new lines maybe you just maybe maybe you type them in or it may, or you're speaking into it i'm, I'm not sure how it works mm-hmm. and then this thing uses the algorithm and you know throws it back out so then that makes me wonder are they gonna is it gonna be a thing now to copyright the sound of people's voices right because then yeah. technically anyone could use that voice exactly yeah it makes me wonder because um i mean it's getting into a whole new realm of technology because this is such a new thing you get um, patents actual people's like their sound and their like and everything right it's yeah. Like, yeah you are a commodity <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so uh yeah on their website i mean like the, there is even a, an article saying respeecher synthesized a younger luke skywalker's voice for disney plus's the mandalorian um so, you know, this is the stuff. Um, and uh, for creators out there who are looking to use the software, it's, uh, I think I think it's uh, $200 per month, I believe it was, uh, or uh, 1000 or $2,000 a year or something, something crazy. So if you're doing, a, say, a fan film or one of Darth Vader's voice in there, 200 bucks and you got it, basically. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. I mean, you know, this is essentially this is the real stuff. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I do wonder though, if you'd run into an issue, if you use clips from the movies, if there'd be too much music and background noise versus say Lucasfilm, which has the original recordings. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, it. I, I have no idea how the software operates and, and how it works. Like, I don't, I don't know what kind of, um, cl- like what sort of dialogue you have to feed it to be able to actually, much? Yeah, exactly. Um, so essentially, it's deep fake, but for audio, that's that's essentially what it is. So um, it just blows my mind. But I mean, the fact that they did credit James Earl Jones, uh, I'm I'm looking forward to very greatly the uh, the man the the like similar how they've done the gallery, the Disney gallery behind the scenes of of Book of Boba and Mandalorian. I'm very much looking forward to the one for Kenobi because then it'll be confirmed as to how they did the the Vader voice right because for me to know that hayden is in the suit i mean it's special enough to know that hayden's back as the character playing vader in the costume but i mean what blows my mind even more is like is that actually his voice like is he driving james earl jones's performance which has been synthesized through this website that's absolutely crazy bonkers it's like he really is darth vader exactly is the voice exactly (laughs) it's like it's like the marriage between the the dubbing of james earl jones and the performance of the person on set saying the dialogue for others to feed off of. It's like the, that this software has perfected that. And, and all, the only requirement is, oh, you have to know how to talk like Vader. So you can say it in your own voice, but y- you, know, you don't need to pretend to be James Earl Jones anymore. You can just say it how you would say it as the character. And it'll come out as James Earl Jones anyways. Um, and, and I feel like if that is the case, his performance of delivering those lines spot on like this is that's actually the one thing that makes me think that it was james earl jones 
because it was yeah it was yeah. exactly correct yeah right right and and i think that's exactly where we're all gonna have our minds freaking blown when this thing comes out and, and <laughs> <laughs> like confirms to the world yeah. exactly what it is you gotta, that you gotta put some credits down on it man this is you know talk is cheap put some yeah. credits on it <laughs> yeah put some credits on it um so yeah i mean uh, you know I'm, I'm anxiously awaiting the answer on this but it gets me excited for for future star wars projects i mean the fact that uh the living actor doesn't necessarily uh, mean the death of 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 a fictional character if that actor were to pass away so, yeah yeah for sure that's a great point yeah so There's one one thing or another early on a point about vader i noticed his mask goes on differently than it did yeah. in episode three yeah the did mask and the it? helmet are one piece now that just kind of goes yeah. down over yeah because in episode three, you see from Anakin's perspective, it's the mask that comes down mm-hmm. and then the helmet comes on top of it, kind of yeah. seals it all together. This one almost went down like a Lego helmet. Exactly. Like, yeah. And I wonder if the idea then is supposed to be in line with episode five when we see Darth Vader in the the uh, the chamber. What is it? Yeah, I uh, I don't know because I've always thought that he did have the mask on, but not like the the helmet back shield, right? Yeah, um, that's what I thought too. So yeah, I'm I'm a bit curious, but I mean for the for the aesthetics of of the shot, like it looked pretty cool. So I think maybe that's that's how um, they wanted to portray it, just for this instance. I mean, it's been ten years. The costume or the suit, I guess we should call it has probably seen some changes. I know he's been destroyed a few times in the comic books and been rebuilt yeah. and everything. So, you know, and he was actually redesigned between episode four and episode five. Yeah. His, his, uh, kind of like cloak. Oh, the front kind of rope pieces were moved to be underneath the shoulder pads. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken as well in this episode, I didn't see a chain between his cloak. The cloak seemed to be just kind of tucked in his collar and, and beneath the helmet. Uh, if if I'm not mistaken, but uh, in the original trilogy, he has like a small chain that bridges the gap. Yeah, I remember that too. So already we're seeing a few a few different costume alterations. But um, yeah, you're right. Looking at it, there uh, the cloak just goes, and uh, sorry, yeah, the cape goes directly underneath the the, the like mask, the breastplate, and stuff. Yeah. And it looks like that's how it was done for episode three. Oh, is it? Yeah, I'm so, seeing some images here from episode three. I guess I guess they're kind of the pulling. Same. Yeah, so I guess they're pulling more from from that, and which kind of makes sense, I guess, because we're leaning in the middle point, right? So, um, it's a it's a it's a matter of blending, you know, episode three and four together, and as far as the suit goes and the continuity. Yeah, they have the under cloak underneath, which I think is also the case in episode three. Let me take yeah. a look here. Ah, uh, it's hard to tell. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, the, uh, I mean, you know, as far as the costume goes, I, I, I felt like they did a great job. Um, the helmet thing, I thought it was an interesting choice, but I felt maybe that, that, uh, helmeted shot was, was done specifically just for the, the, the aesthetic of, of keeping the episode three, one special and just doing something unique for this episode for the show. That that's, that's what I, that's what I, how I saw it at least. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, I think there might be a chain in the actually in Revenge of the Sith. 
it's just it's black so it's really hard to see it yeah <laughs> so mm, um yeah anyway. Obi- obi-wan um describes to leia how the force feels um but he talks about it as if he misses that feeling um he describes it as like a light that you turn on in a dark room um and uh that insinuates that he's not connected to the force as he once was um the way that he talks about it just just like the look on his face it's like it's almost like he speaks of it as something that he remembers, but not something that is completely active in his life. Because if that was the case, he wouldn't be fearing what he's feeling. Right. Um, and right, that uh, makes sense. It was like right now the lights are off and he's scared. He, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the story is, is really pushing him to be Obi-Wan Kenobi again. I mean, this is the title of the show. Um, he is not calling himself Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's calling himself Ben. And uh, even even in uh, this episode, he actually he says that Tatala, who's who's, uh, you know, comes in later, um, he says, I'm just it's just been these days. It's not Obi-Wan Kenobi anymore. And it's like it reminds me of a Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man uh, 2, you know, when when he uh, loses his powers and <laughs> and he has that those nightmares and everything. And uh, and, uh, you know, in the new Spider-Man movie, he refers to it as a web block. But. Um, the, the doctor that the psychiatrist that's talking to him, he's kind of like, you know, well, maybe you're not supposed to be Spider-Man climbing those walls. Um, and you know, but it's real in reality, it's all just up in his head. It's just, he has to kind of get together with himself to really overcome the personal traumas or the personal kind of difficulties that he's having in his life, um, with Harry and MJ and all this and that, um, to really be Spider-Man again. And I think for Obi-Wan, it's no different. I think he's got to get past the trauma and what clouds his mind. Because as a Jedi, you know, to be too in tune with the Force, like the way that Yoda describes it, you know, he, Luke, he gets distracted and falls over and the rocks topple when he starts realizing what's going on on Bespin. And I think that's Obi-Wan, but every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, you see it when he wakes up at night and you see it when he's just trucking away at work, you know, just trying to keep routine, trying to keep his mind off of it. Um, and right. he's, he's he has like PTSD. Exactly. And the name Obi-Wan Kenobi, as we know from episode four, when he says, he kind of sinks back into himself when he hears the name and he goes, now that's a name I haven't heard for a long time. And he doesn't specify when that is, but I get the feeling that that name to him at this point in the show is like a trigger for all of that stuff that he doesn't want anything to do with anymore. And um, even though- reminder of his former self. Exactly, yeah. And and so that's why why I I also, that kind of feeds into the theory of why he can't communicate with Qui-Gon, why he's not using the force very much, you know? Like this, it's all kind of rooted in his his fears. No, that makes sense. I think think that's actually pretty accurate. Yeah. And you're right. We are really seeing him being forced- out of hiding and uh, returning to his former self. Yeah, I think that's the way the show's going. I think um, you know this this episode was a clear um, was a clear loss for him, as far as realizing just how far he's fallen from his former self as a Jedi. And you know that's not to say that he can't recover that quickly, but but it, it is it goes to show where he's at right now, and um, you know it feeds into the fight later on in the episode. So. Um, they, uh, they end up on Maposa, uh, or, uh, Maposo, which is like a, a, a mining, yeah. a mining Ma- system. Maposa is what I got. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, um, man, such a barren planet, just nothing there. <laughs> yeah. I was going like to say, what'd you think of the design like of the planet film, the run out assets? Yeah. 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 Uh, it was just filmed in like the, the, the Northern California desert or something like, <laughs> or, or like Australia. <laughs> yeah. Um, there, there was an interesting line that Obi-Wan says to Leia. He says, people are not all good Leia. And he says it very snappingly. Like when, uh, yeah, that took me a, a, a put back as well because like, he yeah. just like snapped at her so bad i mean I, I, on one hand it could be he's just tired spent a long, really long day and he's dealing with his kid that just won't stop asking questions yeah but yeah on the other hand maybe he is just bitter about life yeah yeah i i think it's a it's a combination of all those things and and uh you know his his trust in people is completely diminished right um and uh he thinks he even thinks Bale's attempts to help people is a losing battle. Um, and uh, when, when he's talking to Leia, right, that comes up and uh, <laughs> he says, well, people like your father are trying to do, do the best they can these days with the Empire. But, is it, but uh, I must admit it is a, a losing battle. Uh, mm-hmm. you know and he, he's, he's not just, wrong really right right he's not well he's not wrong but it's certainly not a spark that'll light the flame to go on to light the rebellion or whatever on fire and you know whatever no. pose expression is but it is interesting know. though is because one thing that always questioned i always questioned and probably others as well is why wasn't obi-wan more involved with the rebellion because mm-hmm. sure his main job was to take care of luke but he could still offer advice and communicate with them but it seems like the reason the, they're making the reason why he didn't do that is because he was just too distraught and bitter. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, Self isolated. Right, right. Too, too kind of absorbed in his own. Um, it's almost like he's using the protection of Luke Skywalker as an excuse at times, for sure. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Yeah. So. Um, I also I also noted down that he's hallucinating. He 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 sees Anakin. You know he um, yeah. I had a hard time seeing you. I couldn't tell if that was actually Hayden or not or like yeah oh Anakin. yeah it was it was because like, like just some random guy in a robe. Like I could like, I couldn't see his face clear enough. Like he was just a bit too far away from camera. Yeah no it was him. It was him in the full costume. He had the tunic on and everything. But he had the he had the robe kind of folded over. Uh, as he crossed his arms, so you couldn't really see much other than the brown robe. But uh, I thought I that was going to be a repeating thing, though. Yeah, I, I wonder because because you know he's starting to. I mean, his nightmares now are are almost kind of uh, intervening in his day life now as well. Like it's almost like he's just getting worse, right? Like this whole thing is getting worse, and now we've reached this this new low for him because he's experiencing these nightmares during the day. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I feel like part of the reason why they're starting to appear now is now that he knows Anakin is alive. I think that's given, uh, like, a, his anxiety, something to really grab hold of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, uh, I noticed that he instantly, gives up on the person that was supposed to meet them at the drop-off yeah. point. And, uh, they, you know, they hitch a ride with that cargo transport instead. But, uh, again, just feeding into that. Was that was so funny, though, the interaction <laughs> with that guy. Yeah. Like, Leia's yeah. like, 
oh, we got lost. And like in the middle of nowhere, he's like, that's a weird story. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a strange story. (laughs) Man, like that is so accurate. I'm glad they didn't just, you know, go along with it like every other movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I love how he like calls them out on it, too. Like, like, well, you're clearly lying. Hop in. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah um i didn't i didn't take note as to who voiced the actor uh, or who voiced the character of this for this particular guy but um he does sound very familiar i've, I've heard the I voice before so too. yeah I've, i feel like i've heard it in a disney pixar movie or something he just sounded so familiar to me mm-hmm. so um yeah and, yeah, and what, it's worth looking up when, when they're on the transport, uh, Obi-Wan almost gets caught when he calls Leia by her real name. And, uh, you know, he covers it up really well with using his gen- his genuine kind of feelings for uh, her mother, you know, Padme, Padme mm-hmm. a- as an excuse for like, well, you know, we lost her mother and it's been very difficult lately and all this and that. Um, That's such a rookie mistake, too. But, you know, she she clues in to the fact that he did know Padme and, because she doesn't know much about her own mother at all. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he describes, um, his own, his own memories of his own real family to her in that moment and, uh, describes the Jedi as his new family when he was taken away from them. And which is of course a family that he's now since lost. Um, but it just, it was such a touching moment. And, uh, and I love the fact that, that Leia recognized in her 10 year old self recognized the, the, uh, the genuine, um, words behind um, that she the looked like behind the lie. Yeah, yeah, but that she looked like her mother because because it, it's so uh, it, it's so true, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I was wondering. I was kind of thinking on this. Is there any reason why he shouldn't just tell her that he knew her parents? Like, why is he hiding that so much? Well, I think I think it was worried just, that'll help him get spotted later. I, I don't think he quite. I, I think it's a. It's usually. Um, looked at as just the the agreement that they had when they split the kids apart that they just didn't know much about their their uh, birth family right or or just know anything at all even even the fact that they had a sibling out there right um is just to to help hide everything you know because even them saying something about themselves could potentially give anything away to anybody mm-hmm. right so um in in not sharing information about her mother and her father she wouldn't know the truth and then she couldn't accidentally reveal later yeah exactly you're thinking yeah exactly i guess that i guess that makes sense yeah it's a combination of that and uh obviously you know bail bail has taken precautionary measures to make sure that she's only aware of what she needs to know and um he's very much enforced as we saw in the first episode that he he wants to make her he wants to make her know that she is an Organa, like, you know, rightfully so she's been adopted and raised from basically the moment she was born by Bail Organa, right. Uh, mm-hmm. By, by his family. So in all respects, she is an Organa. Um, but you know, by blood, she has this, uh, obviously this very important family line behind her, uh, which, you know, they're keeping a secret for her for a very obvious reason. And, and I think Obi-Wan knows that. So when he kind of slips up there, he, He's very careful as to how he goes about wording, you know, his reasoning. And uh, yeah. um, then the, the moment kind of passes by. Uh, Plus, we all know Obi-Wan's a liar anyway, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you knew my mother, didn't you? Well, from a certain point of view. Point of view. I, I That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
<laughs> I think after that, we switched to the Inquisitors. And there was one thing I wanted to mention from that, which I thought was really weird. Yeah. That their temple is a giant cannon that shoots probes. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I think that's just like a, like a, uh, an interesting feature of, of the, the Inqu- fortress Inquisitorius. But uh, I thought that was kind of, kind of funny. And also made sense to me though, weirdly, because I was like, yeah, this is the fortress of the Jedi hunters. It would make sense that they have this like galactic kind of probe droid cannon that just fires them out whenever they need to launch a new one. I didn't like it though. I wish they had, they just brought in star destroyer assets why are there no star destroyers and then the star destroyers could launch them because now it's like this weird thing where they could launch all of them across the galaxy from a single planet previously which is now kenobi but then later in episode five they have to launch them from star destroyers well they do say that in the in episode five though is they said uh, we have thousands of probes scanning the galaxy you know when they're looking for the rebellion it's like well you know they've got thousands of probe droids but do they have thousands of star destroyers like i don't know about thousands i mean that when that now we're talking like episode nine level ridiculousness about you know the size of the fleet but um i always thought that there is like a distribution of something you know somewhere that just spews them off the weirdness for me comes in when it, you start to think of them going through hyperspace that for me is the weird part because yeah that's, that's part of it right yeah. that's why i thought they should be launching from star destroyers Oh, so like above, above the up, planet, right? Drop a few off and then drop off, jump, like jump to the next system, right? Yeah. Yeah. See, that's, that's, that's what I originally thought what had, what had to happen for, for a probe to get to a planet. But, um, I, I, I guess maybe they've just now insinuated, well, if an escape pod of some, or a ship of, of its small kind, like Yoda's can get to Dagobah with a hyperdrive, you know, in it, then I guess it's not completely, um, you know, that ridiculous to think that there's a ship of similar size, like a pod that can go through hyperspace that carries like two or three probes inside of it that, you know, hits the planets when they need to, I guess. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I wasn't, I wasn't completely in love with the idea at first, but I was like, after the second viewing of the episode, it kind of sunk in a bit more. And I was like, I guess it kind of makes sense, but even if I it still doesn't like it, I don't, even if they just didn't show them launching pods at all, and there was just there happened to just be a probe on the planet, I would have bought that more. That's fair. That's if they were just already there, I love I love seeing uh, um, the Fortress Inquisitorius though. That was so cool. I mean, I know you and I both played through Jedi Fallen Order, so we've we've obviously been walking around inside those hallways for ourselves. I blew that place up. <laughs> as uh, yeah, as Cal Kestis, and uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, only only five years prior to the events of this show is when that game takes place. So it was before, yeah, game. yeah. So so um, yeah, uh, Jedi Fallen Order takes place closer to Episode Three than than this show does. So uh, it's it's interesting to know what went down there, having played that game. Um, it's interesting to know what went down there before the events of Obi-Wan Kenobi happened um, when you see this this particular facility. So pretty neat. Yeah. Um, Obi-Wan instantly. Uh, sorry. Uh, Obi-Wan uh, almost uh, uh, discovers an underground railway for the Jedi. Did you catch that? It was like it remind. it took me back to all the all the times where, um, you know, we've we've obviously been told about the underground railway um, for uh, you know, hi- historical wise, you know, in the States and obviously in world war two for, uh, Nazi Germany. Oh. And, uh, you know, it's just, I mean, it's happened throughout history, but, 
it, it just made so much sense to have mm-hmm. this underground railway for Jedi in the time of the purge, right? Yeah, I thought so too. It makes you wonder how often how many Jedi actually go through. They kind of pointed to the fact that it's it's more more sensitive children that the Empire is now mysteriously going after. Which we also know those kids that are being taken, they're not being turned into inquisitors. They're being used for something else. Yeah, they kind of insinuated that they that we they didn't fully know what they would be used for, right? So it is kind of kind of interesting to 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 know that. I, I wonder if it feeds into that plot um, for the sequels. Like, it makes me wonder if they're taken to a place like Exegol to be brought up in darkness and and becomes one of those acolytes that we see oh yeah you know chanting at palpatine's resurrection or whatever right like it makes me wonder if maybe, maybe, maybe i always felt like everyone there was already on the planet like they were sith slaves no that planet's desolate i think I, I think all those people are there you know because they were transported there somehow so i don't know it, it, it's it's one of those weird things where it's like it's obviously not fleshed in so it's all up to speculation but uh so you know none, none of what i say on that matter is fact or anything but um, I, I've always thought like, well, if they're not being taken to be trained as inquisitors, what on earth are they being used for other than, you know, to serve Palpatine's yeah. purpose? <laughs> and what's weird is this is this is a reoccurring story for Palpatine because he tried to do it during the prequels in the Clone Wars yeah. era. Yeah. And then, uh, as we saw, it was another part of the Cal Kestis storyline. That's why they wanted the holocron because they knew that could help them find the four sensitive children. Well, Cad and Bane was also after holocron for the same thing. All of that was in regards to the Inquisitors, because like we, you know, we talked about that during our "What Happened with the Inquisitorius." Is those moments was that being, canonized? Being, that was just our speculation, though. Th- that was it. Was hinted at that by Pong Krell that those that that the the idea of having um, an army or like a a following, you know, of 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 warriors behind the Sith. Uh, he insinuated that he was he was going to be part of that and possibly even an apprentice to to the Sith, right? So that's what he foresaw, and uh, and even Palpatine has in the Clone Wars he did say when he looked at the children that he had kidnapped uh, before they were rescued, of course. But um, he said that uh, he foresaw an army of of um, uh, agents, like almost like agents working for him, like doing his biz- doing his his. Uh, his bidding or, or, or something. Right. I forget the exact line, but uh, you know, I've always just taken that as, Oh, well, he's referring to the inquisitorious, right? The, like the, uh, the people that will eventually do his bidding hunt Jedi, you know, do whatever the heck he needs. Um, Which but, makes sense all yeah. except for the fact that now we know they're not adding no, new numbers to the inquisitors. Well, it, yeah. And it, it does take a while for a kid obviously to grow up and become, you know, what they intend them to be, uh, as a full-fledged inquisitor but so it may it does make me wonder because that's not completely off the table yet um are these kids in fact being taken to join the ranks of the inquisitors eventually is there some sort of like secret sith school going on or uh or is it that um you know we uh uh, uh have a, another purpose in mind for for the what these kids are, are you know that's what i'm wondering for, uh, i feel like there might be something else going on here yeah, and I'm wondering if this is starting to become the early days of Palpatine using Force-sensitive blood for experiments. Yeah, 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 possibly. So, something else that was kind of cool is we got a Quinlan Voss kind of yeah, yeah cameo there. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Quinlan Voss uh, gets a gets a little confirmation that he um, is still running yeah. around and yeah, he's a saving for sensitive kids. So that's cool. I'm hoping that means at some point we're gonna get some sort of story that involves him. Yeah, I'm guessing not in this series, but maybe Ahsoka or something. So in the Dark Lord of the Sith comic books, I always freaking bring these things up. Somewhat, you know, we all got to read these comic books. Uh, um, but uh, his name comes up in, in a list of Jedi that have uh, been uh, known to have possibly survived the purge. So I will say that. So this is such a great cameo to see him final, like, you know, be confirmed to be alive in a live action show. Because, you know, when, when we look at those comic books, kind of like how uh, when we were talking about the Bad Batch, um, when that show came out on that series and um, how they kind of changed the origin story for Kane and Jairus, the beats were all the same, but the details were different. And uh, even though the, the canon, uh, you know, has established a certain thing in the comic books, the, the animated and live action shows have a lot more leeway to bend those, those rules a little bit. And so it almost sort of decanonizes some minor events when we look back at some of this literature when it comes to the form of a novel or a comic book. Those are kind of the bottom line of the hierarchy of, of what's established as canon. Now we're slowly sliding back to the G canon. Slowly, system. yeah. And it's just the nature of building a, a, this kind of massive gargantuan story in multiple mediums because that's just inevitable, right? Um, so it is interesting to see that they've been able to reference that material and go, oh, well, let's actually feed off of that and actually let's confirm that this is a thing. So I'm very thankful that this made it into the show. It's pretty cool. Um, I agree. Like, I'm always a big uh, Quinlan fan, so. Yeah, and we have a What Happened episode on Quinlan Voss. So anyone interested in what, you know, if anyone's wondering, like, who's who's Quinlan, uh, check that podcast episode out. Uh, Oh, so this is actually going back a little bit, but I, I missed this. Obi-Wan mentions that he has a brother. Is that yeah. something that is new? I feel like I've heard that before. Yeah. I would need to ask Bryce and he's not here. So, you know, I feel like at one point, but in the olden days, like before the um, events of, of the expanded universe and all that stuff, I feel like people theorized that Owen Lars and Ben Kenobi were, related somehow but but yeah but it was never really confirmed and you know it's not a thing but but you know when you go back far enough there's like these things that start to come up where it's like oh um people theorized about this and that and then maybe lucasfilm kind of nodded towards it at one point or, or whatever in a book or you know maybe like hint hint like maybe he could exist you know a brother or whatever um and uh so it's just it's just funny to see that that they've kind of drawn off of that a little bit and go well, you know what did people think about Obi Wan and his upbringing? Like what what did people think about Obi Wan's home life and his family? And you know it's great to see them kind of nod at all the people who um, once believed he must have a brother living out there somewhere. That's pretty neat. It makes me wonder if it's something that we might maybe get some information on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe down the road. Who knows? I mean, uh, um, yeah. That's one of the stories that one of the stories I really love so much about Dooku Jedi Lost was that he's one of those characters that happens to just run into his family again. 
I mean, yeah, you know, we, just total coincidence. Yeah, total coincidence. And it's so cool because, of course, Jedi never get the opportunity to meet their families, which is what makes Anakin such a rare exception and how he knows attachment and love, whereas everyone else doesn't. Um, he, uh, uh, Dooku, that is, you know, he, he comes across on a mission, comes across his birth family and his sister and all that. And it's the craziest thing because like, it's just like, what are the, what are the chances of that? Right. And, uh, you know, against the code, he actually keeps in touch with them over the years. And that's how he's established, uh, his lineage and how he comes to know that he's actually a count by birth, which is what he leaves the order for in the first place. So it's, it's quite fascinating. Um, just, uh, you know, to, to think, well, if Obi-Wan's got a brother out there, what if he ever met him? Right. It leaves the door open for a future possibility. You never know, right? Yeah. Maybe he ended up being Force-sensitive, too, just not to the same level. Who yeah, knows, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, there was a, a quote inscribed on the wall. I just want to bring this up. Something that Quinlan inscribed. It says, only when the eyes are closed can you truly see. And I feel like it was important to note that down because I feel like it, it plays a part in, uh, in how Obi-Wan will eventually reconnect with the Force. And, uh, you know, right now his, his eyes are, shall we say, open to so much. Um, That's why they picked Quinlan, because they needed something along those lines. And Quinlan Voss has that rare force ability where he can see stuff when he touches it. So he can see with his eyes closed. Yeah, I guess. I guess so. Yeah, for sure. That's so it what makes it, sense. He would write something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just one of those kind of multi perceived things like an ambiguous sort of meaning that it's like, well, maybe this means something to Obi-Wan later. Maybe it means something to Quinlan right now. And, you know, perhaps it means something different to everybody, but um, I just, I just want to do though. Maybe want to go to different walls and just like write random weird stuff like that. Yeah. And then maybe someone will be like, look like oh that's so deep and like it'll affect their life yeah yeah like he's like a philosopher like inscribe it in a rock or something you know yeah exactly yeah, and then just throw it on the beach somewhere and <laughs> so someone's gonna come across it one day and be like how old is this thing like right <laughs> yeah. changed my life yeah yeah changed someone's life um there was something that uh that tala said um where she says i can't imagine obi-wan kenobi doing anything wrong and uh, then he just said, it's just been these days, uh, again, burying himself and his burying his true, burying his true self. Um, and she says that when when the topic comes up of how we've all made mistakes and, you know, she's made her mistakes and joined the empire and realized what a terrible thing it is. And then tries to redeem herself by becoming part of the underground, you know, Jedi railway sort of sort of deal. Um, but it, it was interesting to see how Obi-Wan responds to that. Yeah, I agree. One thing that was weird, I thought, in that interaction, though, is the way she was talking to him sounded like she knew him personally. Yeah, yeah, it did. Well, and I mean, she's been helping Jedi and, and Force users, you know, like young kids who, who know the ways of the Force or can feel it, I guess, uh, display their powers. But she knew Obi-Wan enough about him to know that he was like this great Jedi and like all these great stories and yeah. to the point where she couldn't really see him as he was now. Right. Well, that that's the crazy thing is because he was famous. I mean, he was General Kenobi. Like, like the galaxy knew who the guy was. I mean, uh, you know, he was on the front lines leading the 222nd Legion. You know, he's the guy who killed General Grievous. You know, the Senate knows about famous, this. Though? I always and, thought... 
Yeah, Jedi yeah. In 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 the novels, Jedi. Well, in the novels, uh, they always make a huge effort to say that the war effort is um, much like how uh, uh, propaganda works in today's society. Um, is blown across the whole Coruscant, you know, and and you know, just everyone. Everyone knows about w- the Clone Wars, what's going on, um, what the Jedi are doing. That's how Palpatine gets his hook in the fact that the Jedi are responsible for all this stuff because it's been broadcasted to everyone that whole time. Everyone knows about the events of this and that and this and that. And uh, General Kenobi, he's a guy who's obviously, his name comes up quite a bit. So uh, him and Anakin Skywalker are two main kind of protagonist heroes, not just of the Clone Wars show, but of the galactic events as a whole. You know, these are two guys that people just know about by name. And okay. her, her being a military person would likely know that stuff. And uh, being higher up in the ranks as an officer would probably be kind of more or less educated on some of the more important targets out there. So she would have at least seen a picture and a name at some point in her career, um, even if it's never been like a personal meeting thing. It's almost like how you and I might ever meet like Ben Affleck. It's like, oh, yeah, I know Ben Affleck. You know, I've seen him before, like on a movie or on a picture or on a video or whatever. He doesn't know who the heck I am, but like, I know who he is kind of thing. Right. So it's sort of the same deal, I think. All right. I can let it pass. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yep. 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 Um, (laughs) Vader's entrance. All right. Uh, Kills innocent people to lure Obi-Wan out as a test. Um, I do. He just like snaps people's necks, snapping. Yeah, fingers, snaps like, that kid's neck people. right in front of his father, and I was like, "Oh my goodness!" Like this he is it. Ruthless, <laughs> ruthless. Yeah, uh, it was absolutely uh, a different sort of terrifying than we've seen before because uh, that hallway scene is much talked about. Um, you know, Rogue One, of course, but um, I, I feel like this was almost deadlier. It was almost darker. It was almost more. Um, it, was, it was darker because there were just yeah. innocent people that just happened to be looking out their windows to see. What yeah. Was yeah. That was the scariest part about it because I was like, dude, shut the blinds. Like, what are you doing? Like sticking your head out there, you know? And uh, sure so, enough, he, he loses it for it. So. It's like he doesn't want him to be seen, eh? Yeah. By regular people. Yeah. That's just the thing, right? And that that's sort of what the novels have been hinting at us throughout um you know, Lords of the Sith and the Tarkin novel, like not everyone has seen Vader or lived to tell about it um, necessarily. Right. Because, you know, whenever we see him, he's in the context of the empires. He's surrounded by other people. You know, Mm -hmm. he's never off on his own doing stuff. And, uh, and so this was like such a great example of um, other people looking at Vader and going like, who the heck is this guy? And then they just die. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Great. Before they even get a chance. Before they get a chance. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. 10 out of 10 entrance, uh, you know, in my books. What about you? Yeah, I agree. That was probably my favorite part was just, just seeing it. For just from the moment you see the shadow, you see the shadow go by, and then you just you get the close-up and just, just the ruthlessness. Just yeah. One kid looks out the window and then. So good. Oh, man. So good. The standoff uh, brings us to the standoff between Obi-Wan and Vader, and he doesn't ignite his lightsaber. He runs just in fear, just straight up, just, you know, Vader, awesome shot from behind the, the heel, you know, and get the lightsaber blade going down towards the ground. He just books it. And uh, then we, we uh, <laughs> you know, when Vader says, you cannot run Obi-Wan, uh, 
Oh, it's like, oh yeah, it's so good. And, uh, you know, eventually of course, like Vader comes out of the shadows the way he does and, uh, much like he does to Luke on Bespin and somehow he's able to keep that breathing under control so he can sneak up on someone. But, um, yeah. it's just, just like, it was, it was so good, man. Yeah. The Ooh. fight was just absolutely, um, uh, it, it was, it was interesting. It wasn't the best thing I've ever was- seen. But, oh, certainly not, and I, I, that is part of the point. Is like, is yeah. it's supposed to show that Obi Wan has lost his way and he no longer has the same skills. Yeah, he's not he's not necessarily a Jedi anymore, and like this, is the and thing he knows been, that, so yeah. he's trying to run because he knows he can't. There's no way he can win. Right, ex- exactly, and 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 Vader says the years have made you weak. You should have mm-hmm. killed me when you had the chance, and and it, like I love how he relishes in that. Um, and, uh, not only, he doesn't want to kill Obi-Wan right away. Death is too easy for him. He wants to make Obi-Wan freaking suffer. Like he wants to yeah. watch Obi-Wan burn on the ground as Obi-Wan watched Anakin burn on the ground. And uh, I thought that was one of the coolest parts about this whole episode. Dude, the homage, the homage to Mustafar was cr- yeah. like, oh, it was, it's too perfect. You know, it's, uh, the, the stories that kind of rhyme. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, the parallels, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, I, that, that Mustafar scene it, again, bringing us back to the events of revenge of the Sith, Obi-Wan just looking down at Anakin burning to a crisp and does nothing. And yep. you almost expect him to kill Anakin in that moment just as a mercy kill. But Obi-Wan he can't. lets him suffer. Yeah, he lets him suffer and he doesn't, he can't bring himself to finish the job either, right? It's, it's, a, it's a combination of both. And he walks away, but enables him to live and, and thinks that Anakin's dead this whole time. In reality, he let the guy suffer and, and he lived through all that trauma himself. But because he's a dark sider, because he's a Sith, he uses that as power. and Fuel. As yeah. fuel, right? And, and, and that's what makes him powerful because he's turned that fear into, into hatred and he's turned that hatred into rage and that rage into a, into a, a passion to just kill and take his revenge out on Obi-Wan Kenobi. And it's yeah, the most amazing you, you thing. Say, you say many more, you're going to be part of this, the Sith, <laughs> yeah, Sith acolyte. Yeah, no kidding, right? Um, but yeah, you know, it was just, I don't know. For me, I'm like, uh, it's still unbelievable to think that this actually happened. I almost watched that episode. I was like, is this real? Like, am I watching what I'm seeing right now? And it's almost hard to comprehend that it's been so many years since that movie came out to think that this story is being told without George Lucas behind the wheel. But it is. I would love to see George's take on his opinion on it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Absolutely. And, um, I, you know, I don't know. Like, What are your thoughts and feelings on this? A little bit mixed. On one hand, I do really like it, but... <laughs> It's, it's hard for me to believe wholeheartedly that Obi-Wan has become that incompetent. Yeah. Uh, one thing that uh, the first time I watched it annoyed me, and the second time I actually thought about it more and it made sense, and that was Vader. One of the first things he does, they, they clash lightsabers a bit, and then towards towards the end of the fight, before Obi-Wan just gets burned and tortures, he force chokes Obi-Wan, just holds him there, and Obi-Wan is just completely helpless. The first time, I'm like, man, like, how could you be, like, this helpless, you're Obi-Wan? And then I thought about it the second time, I'm like, oh, wait, Dooku did the exact same thing to him at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith, so this <laughs> yeah. is just a, a thing now where Obi-Wan just... Yeah, he just gets yeah, force, force held. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
the uh the, but why did that not happen in an episode four you know I, I, mean? I don't know i, I mean i so obviously man. like episode four is such a unique circumstance because it was the first movie and it's 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 rough you know it's it's rough and i think even george has admitted to that it's it's like a quarter of the movie that that he wanted it to be originally and that's part of the reason why the special editions made it a little more tolerable for him and because uh, he was able to kind of smooth it over i guess with the newest technology and and, uh, you know, it's just, it's, uh, it, it's his own work of art and, and, uh, you know, he perceives it as he does and we all love a new hope, but, uh, to him, it's never ever been the movie that he wanted it to be originally. Um, just, just due to the time, due to the budget, all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's just, uh, it makes me wonder if that movie were done today, would the fight be any different? I'm pretty sure it would be. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. But because it's not, I feel like we do have to try to make it like, yeah, smooth, smooth yeah, I try and yeah, yeah, sand it down to be continuous and all that. Yeah. 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 But again, overall, I loved Vader. I basically loved every scene with Vader. And I thought he was done so well. The choreography in, in his fighting style was Dude, fantastic. It looked like it was right on episode five. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, they, they trained Hayden very well with the choreography at a single hand, you know, wield with the yeah. lightsaber blade. It was awesome. Uh, you know, it, it's got to be very tricky to do all that with a big clunky helmet on your head, but uh, he managed yeah. to do it. Uh, so it's cool. You know. Yeah. Cause he, he just, that's one thing I never really noticed. You watch all the movies. Yeah. But I picked up on that is Vader really does just use one hand. He doesn't use two hands really ever. Right. And for a while, it was watching it. I was like, wow, like his other hand, why doesn't he do anything? And then he uses it to like, force push him right so i'm like yeah. oh so he's got he's got like a spare hand for worked doing other there. stuff yeah. yeah yeah they worked it in there somehow um but that was super cool well you and i both have the black series vader helmet i mean like when we wear this thing it is hard to move around you know it's hard to operate you know hard to spin your body and do all this and that like you almost feel robotic wearing just the helmet <laughs> yeah it's true honestly when I have it on, I, I want to uh, turn to Morgan Freeman and tell him that I'd like to be able to move my neck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Star Wars podcast. We gotta have. We still gotta have those Batman memes in there. Um. <laughs> you know, when you can, throw them in there. That's right. That's right. You know, I actually I wasn't a big fan of the set for the duel though. No, me neither. I, I wasn't a huge fan of like the 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 the, dune, the dunes of gravel. Yeah, I was like, okay, well, I didn't really care for it too much. But then again, it wasn't supposed to be that epic, epic climactic duel that we will eventually get by the part yeah. six. I'm sure well, we'll get it. I'm sure we'll get it. Hopefully, we're, we're gonna get another but duel. Honestly, if say that yeah, they're at a, a gravel pit construction or whatever, that's fine. But they didn't spend any time doing any set decorations. It looked like they just showed up at a gravel pit and filmed that day and then left. I okay. felt like for it to be Star Wars, there needed to be more Star Wars like machinery elements. So you think Mustafar, right? Which is like a giant forge. Yep. They have all the just like the, the layout and the buildings and the, the structure. There's there's like spires of stuff that are doing things like moisture evaporators, that sort of thing, right? Yeah. They didn't have any of that. It was just piles of gravel. And to me, it just felt like a fan fiction set. <laughs> well, hopefully the final duel, we get a bit of a better better set going on. But That'd be uh, cool. Yeah, that really bothered me, though. And it took me out both times. I'm like, this. Is, it doesn't look right. It's there's, one, there's one thing I want to bring up, uh, which is uh, the ending thing. Leia's taken by Reva. When is this plot going to end with, with Leia being kidnapped? 
It's just, just the, yeah. it's a question that we don't need to answer right now, but uh, you know, I know we t- brought it up last time. We thought that it would be over by this episode and it's obviously not. So no. I think Leia and, and might be a continuous character through the whole thing. I think it's good at this point. We're at three and there's six total, correct? Yeah, there's six. Yeah. With it not being wrapped up by three, it's going to be through the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I know we were all looking forward to a storyline that didn't involve some, some kid. Yeah, I guess there's. (laughs) It is what it is. Yeah, wait for the next series, I guess. Is there anything? Any last minute things you want to bring up? Yeah, I have one more really big thing that kind of irked me. To me, this is actually, I would say, the the biggest issue of all. Yeah. So, I don't buy how Obi Wan got away at all, (laughs) like on any level, because Vader lights everything on fire. He tortures Obi Wan. He then he uses the Force to blow out the fire. This is very important. He uses the Force to blow out the fire, and then the lady shows up, and, and she she shoots the stormtrooper and lights everything on fire. And then Vader doesn't save or doesn't uh, recapture Obi Wan because yeah. of the fire that he just put out. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Like, obviously, they needed a story element. Like, oh, Vader couldn't get him. That's how they got away. But don't either remove this scene beforehand where he blows it out or come up with something else. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah. Well, I've seen that episode twice myself and both times. I don't know. It didn't really bother me that much. I, I honestly, what bothered me more was knowing that Vader's costume is actually supposed to be fireproof, and uh, yeah, that's the other thing I was thinking. Like, why can't Vader just walk through it? Because it would make. I assumed it was fireproof. He, as well. It is. It is supposed to be. Yeah. So, so uh, that to Again, me made no sense. But I was so, like, okay, yeah, whatever. That's yeah. another reason, and we also know Vader can force jump over it. Yeah. So there's literally. It, it shouldn't have done anything to stop him. It he, makes no sense. Well, here, here's my thought on that. Or he could use the force. Here's my thought on that. Is, is, or is kill the droid. Here's the thing, though. He doesn't want to kill him. And I think that's the only reason why he didn't. Like, he's using as one of his schmucks to even go and get up, get the body because he doesn't want to pick it up himself. Like, he, want, he says, like, oh, go and get it for me to the stormtrooper. And the stormtrooper is like, oh, okay, yeah. And so he's going over there. And then that's when he gets shot because, uh, you know, like, he, he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't want to kill Obi-Wan. He wants to make this guy suffer and he doesn't even want to be hands-on with him. Like this is this is to him he looks at Obi-Wan like a rat, like a freaking piece of garbage filth, like just Jedi scum that has ruined yeah, his life that has turned him into something that he is right now which is this like monster, right? Like he hates Obi-Wan with a passion. It's like the same way that Maul hates Obi-Wan. You know? And so but but a little different, a little more personal, obviously, because they used to be um, close, close friends. But uh, I don't know. To me, I just looked at the scene. I'm like, he just doesn't care to even cross the, the waves of fire because he knows that he'll come face to face with them again. And he's going to let Obi-Wan get away. Like no one escapes Vader. He's going to yes. let Obi-Wan get away. Yeah, that, that makes me think of two plausible answers as well. The way you're saying there. Either Obi-Wan, he now thinks, is too worthless to be worth his time. Because he, he just dueled him and we saw how incompetent Obi-Wan was. Yeah. Second plausibility, it's possible that he thinks 
Now, Obi-Wan being on the run, the constant fear of Vader being after him, after what he just went through, yeah, might cause more uh, emotional pain and trauma than actually capturing him. Right, right. Yeah, I... Uh, I that guess. being said, I still think Vader would, would be the person to walk through grab grab him and put him in, in an actual torture chamber yeah that's fair yeah i guess we'll have to wait and see what vader's plans are which uh is just around the corner in next week's episode so uh i'm stoked yeah i know you're excited and uh you know i'm looking forward to chatting about that of course with uh, yourself and whoever else joins us here on star wars escape pod so uh that being said i'll catch you in the next episode all right man keep flying Alrighty, and thank you all for tuning in to the show. I mean, we absolutely love doing this podcast, and it would really help us out if you shared the show with a friend. Drop some uh, some stars down there if you can. Five stars would be very helpful, and leave a review uh, if possible. A few nice words really helps the algorithms, helps people find the podcast, and uh, really discover Star Wars Escape Pod for themselves. We've got quite a lot of stuff coming down the uh, down the chain including after shows for Obi-Wan Kenobi, more What Happened episodes, and of course, uh, the long-awaited guest interview with uh, the Supreme Commander of Wikipedia. We'll get into that another time. In the meantime, may the Force be with you.